Listen, one day, right, I'm going to get the sack, right? I'm going to get the sack playing too much football. <laughs> but I don't mind that. I'm looking forward to that day. Take your tackle pull. Welcome to episode 5 of the Run of Play podcast, a fresh take on football with no filter, no sensor and no suits. Today we're talking to the head professional development coach for the under-23s at QPR, Paul Hall. Paul has a wealth of footballing experiences at teams like Portsmouth, Torquay and Coventry City and also starred for Jamaica in the 1998 World Cup in France. Let's go! So, hi guys, uh, and welcome to episode five, Run a Play. Um, we've got Cameron here, we've got Abby uh, and Elliot from, from our side, and we're joined by Paul Hall. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, at the moment, you're heading up the development of the under-23s at QPR, but in the past, you've spent time as a scout at Brighton, uh, role as an assistant coach at Mansfield Town, while also running a successful events business, uh, Halls and Halls. So you definitely kept busy uh, after life as a footballer. Yeah. Uh, could you give us a deeper understanding into your current role at QPR and what the journey has been like for you to get there? Well, it's just, um, I mean, as it says, I'm the head coach of the under 23s. Uh, so that's, that means I just have to head up the development of the each and every player that comes through every year. So if you put it into school, as we're going back to school, if you put it in schools, I'm teaching sixth form. So I'm teaching the same stuff to the, to the same, to different pupils every year. And uh, yeah, we, we, we've got some really good ones come through. I started at QPR in 2013, and now I'm seven years in, seven years deep, seven year sentence, however you want to look at it. But uh, yeah, I think um, I, I, was, I started with the under 13s and then uh, went up and was assistant in the under 18s. And now I'm seeing the under, the under 13s come through to the first team now, so, and to the under 23s. So it's, it's a real good journey. Oh, that's nice. Lovely. Brilliant. Nice. Um, all right. So just, I was going to say, just before we get into um, some more pointed questions uh, on yeah. your experiences in football and more about you, um, it's a bit crazy because obviously the season is just around the corner and it feels like it never really stops. We've had a whole summer of football, yeah. which has been great. Yeah. Have, you, have you enjoyed that? Um, yes, I have really. I mean, it's the first time ever in my life I've spent so long away from football. Mm. So it was, it was strange. But it was needed because, it, you know, football can be really stressful. It can be really stressful at times. And you don't realise how much you actually need a break. So when these footballers go away on holidays or these managers go away on holidays, they're actually going away to just get away from the, the madness that is football. Mm. Um, I think it's my, you know, it's my, I don't know, I'm well up in there in the late 20s of my, my seasons in football. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice break. But then it was nice to get back to it. So... Yeah, it's all good. You've got to take the rough with the smooth, however you look at it. Mm, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, and of course, we've obviously got the Premier League returning um, Saturday, right? Yeah. In like just a few days. So who do we feel at the minute is best placed to challenge at the top? Because obviously we've got Liverpool, we've got City, Chelsea have spent so much money. Um, obviously, yeah. United, Tottenham, Arsenal, mm-hmm. and then you've done even count in your Leicesters and your Wolves and your Sheffields. So yeah. 
Yeah. You know, that's taking us up to like ninth, tenth in the league. So who yeah. do you think yeah. this season is going to be challenging? It's just going to be so wide open because there are a lot of great coaches in there. I mean, you know, we haven't spoke about Bielsa yet. And I think that he's unbelievable. I mean, if, if you look at my bookcase, that it's just full of Bielsa. If you look at my, you know, I've, I've studied that man and he's truly a great coach and a great manager and a great person as well. And um, I just really think that Manchester City are going to be really, really hard to beat. I don't think Liverpool are firing on all cylinders at the moment. They're not the same team that we saw before the coronavirus break. And so I think that Manchester City are going to be the team to catch again. Liverpool mm. run them close. And then Manchester United, obviously, if they get hold of Jadon Sancho, they'll be a force to be reckoned with. So it's anybody's. But I do think Bielsa's going to come in there and not respect anybody. Yeah. And they will, they will definitely have a good season. I saw the director of football of Leeds, um, I think it's director of football, um, say yeah. something about, oh, I don't think we're going to challenge. But I wonder whether that's like a... He said two or three years or something yeah, before they're ready. I feel like that's like a bluff almost. They're just going to come yeah. and do a Sheffield almost this season. Yeah, I think, listen, the way how his teams play, he gets them so fit. They are like, they just rush you. And it's like playing, I mean, my 23s play against them. They've just gone into Cat 1 now, but... My 23s play against them and it's the, the most difficult game tactically I've ever had because they all do the same thing that the manager wants. And you've just got to respect it. I couldn't wait to play them this, this year, but the coronavirus struck and couldn't play them. But um, yeah, there is, he's a very, very articulate in the way how he coaches. And people say that, yeah, oh, you know, we'll just go and survive, but that's not their job. They're in there and Leeds won't let them. The fan base will not let them come forth from bottom. It just won't no. happen. No, no. Did you have a chance to talk to um, uh, to him? I know you said you didn't play him this season, but have you ever spoken to Bielsa like during? No, the... because he's uh, he's uh, he's, a, he's he never speaks English. <laughs> so even though I'm talking, I'm I'm learning Spanish. You know, you can't get near enough to him to. But I do talk to his assistants and ask him questions, mm. and I do know a lot about his life story and mm. the way how he wants to. Uh, how he wants to play football and you know he's gone into my coaching style as well so awesome. I can't that shows you what, what, how much I feel a bit about the guy yeah yeah mm. there's, a, there's a couple of Leeds mates of mine I would love to hear all that stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean transfers have obviously been crazy so far I mean well so well especially where it comes to Chelsea who are just signing absolutely everyone <laughs> and obviously you've got James Rodriguez and Decore that have just gone to Everton you've got Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser at Newcastle, Kai Havertz and everyone else to go to Chelsea. Who do you think is the standout signing so far? For? For everyone. Um, well, listen, I'm going to be biased, but I'm going to say it would be very easy. Mm. Because, you know, he's, I think the standout signing is him because to go for 15 million to Crystal Palace and to, it goes up to 20 million, but to go for 15 million is a snip. He is literally the best player that I've seen in a long time. And I know Tottenham missed out on him uh, because they were very interested in him. But this guy is a snip at, at 20. I mean, if Ollie Watkins can go for 33 million mm. and Bellingham can go for 25 million mm. and Ibire Eze has scored 14 goals and, uh, and absolutely blew it up. He's playing for the England the 21s and his talent is immense. When he touches the ball, I mean, he's, he'll, I'm sure he may take a couple of seasons to get going. But with good players around him, I really do feel that he's waiting to, to be a star in that, in that Premier League. 
so for me that's the that's the best signing but listen there are others and um yeah but that for me i'm, I'm biased so that's always going to be the case <laughs> we're definitely going to ask you more questions about yeah. it yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely um so i don't know if you watch the international games um or if you fell asleep maybe during the middle <laughs> like i did but um watching the england game uh it's hard to, i think everyone always tries to take positives out of the game i don't know if you feel like there's any we could take i suppose you know Flooding in players like Jack Grealish, Calvin Phillips, Connor Cody. How do you think it was as a performance overall, if you watched it? Wouldn't yeah, you. I think uh, I didn't watch it because I had a game. But um, right. I heard all the moans. I was listening to Talk Sport and I heard all the moans and groans about it. As you know, if England don't win 15-0, then we've always got problems <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I'm glad that Grealish got on the pitch because mm. I think he's an exciting player. I think that we've got a, a lot of exciting youngsters Mm. And and that's really really important for us because we're now going to competitions and expecting rather than we were expecting before, but not really believing mm. the fact that we could go. So we're expecting to qualify. We're expecting these youngsters to be blooded. And there's lots of James Madison. There's mm. lots of young players who are queuing up, waiting to make their debut, and that's how it should be. And we're quite lucky to have it. Uh, I just feel that England have got to find their rhythm again because it, it obviously isn't here yet and that they need to try and find it again, but that's going to take time. Yeah. And it's going to take, it's going to take a lot of competition where people don't know that they're going to be picked. Mm. Well, maybe they felt like, you know, like you said about getting the flow again, like I think they just, there were so many distractions almost from the, from around the camp, you know, with the Maguire situation, which I feel yeah. like Southgate handled pretty well. And then, you know, the following weeks, the Phil Foden and, and Greenwood, you know, in Iceland, um, as I think someone... as well, sorry, sorry to cut across you, oh, no, no. but I think as well, because I'll forget otherwise, but I think, <laughs> you know, remember the last World Cup that we had? I think there was a, a build-up going into that and it was so, yeah. it was such a feel-good. Yeah, Everything was going right and it was feel-good and now we're probably, we haven't had that chance to build up no. and it's just, oh God, what are England going to do now? There's no fans there, there's nothing to get excited for um, and so I, I really do feel that once we get that machine going again, that publicity machine and Gareth does his talking and it sounds like everything that he says comes out, it comes out right. There's a few things gone wrong and now we're expecting it all to come down. But I think it built on a strong foundation and I think as long as we can get that publicity machine going again mm. and, and that positivity, because it was a great summer that we had. And I, oh, I really summer. do think we had more of a chance than winning, more of a chance of winning that World Cup than it, what actually we believed. Mm. You know, I yeah. think we could have really won that. If I had we won that, that game and took those chances, we would have gone on to win the World Cup. Mm. It's closest we've come in a long time. Yeah. yeah. I think the Euros, though, will be great next year, especially after the year we've all had. You know, yeah. if it, hopefully everything, you know, goes back to some type of normality and everyone yeah. can go back in stadiums. I think, you know, we'll be so excited, you know, next year when that's all going ahead and it's just been like a whole release for the country. So... I mean, I look forward to that very yeah. much. Hopefully. It's so <laughs> important. Football is so yeah. important for the country really in, in terms of from a from a, a social point of view. And we don't know because, you know, when we go out, I, I was watching the semi-final up in Notting Hill and it was just the streets were just silent and we, everybody was watching the game. And like you say, it's such a feel-good factor. And if we can just get it right in the, in the Euros, yeah. it just sets everything else up, you know. And, and the England team are so young and... Looking forward, I mean, the, the old guard's been quietly ushered away. And now we've got young players who are coming through who have won World Cups before mm. in their respective age groups. And they expect to win, and, and why not? Mm. 
Mm. You had tickets for the Euros, didn't you, Cam? I did. I did. I was looking forward to it. Had my mm. summer planned out. It's been <laughs> it's been dashed. But uh, but you touched on it there in terms of like the young players that we've got got through. We touched on it in another podcast as well. But you know that front three. You know the the, the midfield options that we have. Uh, the young players in in centre back and uh, and our full backs as well, who are just like so exciting. There is a lot of feel good factor around the England side. It's just putting that all together and putting these distractions um you know away from away from the first team but i wanted to go back to to the greenwood and and, and foden incident mm. yeah. um obviously you're dealing with young talent on a on a day-to-day basis with something like this it might affect their confidence about their publicity their their, their image and their brand what kind of advice would you give to them in terms of moving forward and obviously putting this behind them is obviously just to focus on what's going on on the pitch well, first of all, they don't look like they're, they're going to struggle from confidence, these guys. <laughs> <laughs> they look like they're very confident, you know. I think um, I don't think they've got any problems there. But there, there is a lesson to be learned. And they're young players, like Gareth said. They're young players. And they've let themselves down, their families. They've let the team down. They've let everybody that's believed in them down. And I'm sure they're going through unbelievable amounts with their other, other halves or their people, their agents and people like that. So they have to focus on what's on the pitch because... They've now put themselves up to be, to be t- taken down if they don't perform properly. So now they should be engaged. They should be so focused on wanting to play well for England because they, they, they owe us all. They've, le- they've let us down and they've let themselves down. I do believe that young people are going to make mistakes mm. and, I, and I have to deal with these guys every single day. And some of the things as a youth coach or a young, a young player's coach, I've had to deal with you that make your hair curl, especially you with the straight hair. So, you know, um, it's, it's about making sure that they learn from those mistakes. We've all made them. I've made them. I don't know a footballer born who hasn't made a mistake that they've regretted. So it's important that they just get, they understand who they are and who they're representing. And they, they go on because like I said, they've, they've let everybody down. But, um, you know, it's. I don't think they'll struggle with confidence at all. You think they'll get another chance still? I think so, yeah. Because there, there is an argument to be said if they were le- less, lesser players, then they would have got rid of them. You know, mm. but these guys are really valuable players and it's probably worth rehabilitating them. Yeah. And now it, it's, it's, there's nothing like somebody falling foul of the rules for you to make the rules tight now. Right, two mm-hmm. of you have messed up. Now nobody's getting it, you know, nobody's getting any time up, time off or anything like that. So, mm. yeah, it's just it's just a shame that they were young boys and it's their first time in the camps as well, I think, the first times or mm. yeah, one of the first times. the senior yeah. team, yeah. Mm. You have to hope they'll learn from it and just bounce back from it. They're too yeah, good to not, they're too definitely. good to not be part of, of England that's going right. forward. So. And, and exactly, right. exactly what we were missing. Exactly. In that, in that yeah. game. It's the, yeah. I think that they will be, like you say, there's, there's loads of kids around the country waiting to take their places. Mm. So I think it just needs to be expressed to them that it, you, you can't, you're easily replaceable yeah. because there are good players waiting to go on there and they you know, but they want to make it as well. And they want to be able to win the world cup because really? anybody that wins the world cup in this country is not going to be able to walk streets, no. you know? Is there something to be said about young players, you know, 
18, 19, 20, um, you know, being used in the youth teams because that's what they're there for? Or do you feel like, you know, age just doesn't matter in that, in that, you know, in that level? If you're paying, playing at the highest level in the Premier League, then you should be in the highest level with the England squad. Or do you feel like actually for the development of the player, going through the youth systems actually helps them for them being ready at that moment when they, you mentioned like the under-17s yeah. who obviously won a World Cup, have that experience under their belt. Mm. Um, yeah, what, what what's your thoughts on that? I think, if, I think it, they, there's a great saying, you know, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Mm. And, yeah. and, and I made my debut at 17. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> well, I made my debut at 17 and I was, you know, it was for Cyril Knowles, who's a, um, who's a, an ex Tottenham, Tottenham money uh, yeah. player. And yeah, I think it doesn't matter because it doesn't matter where you are at 17. I always say this to, to people because I could lose all of my 23s games this year. That's not my remit. My remit is, and Chris Ramsey is a, is a massive, uh, you know, person from, from Tottenham who's done this and they're, uh, it's about where they end up. Can they get into the first team? Some are going to get in at 17. Some are not going to get in until 23, 24. And it's about making sure that I give them that development pathway so that they can get in. I mean, I remember when uh, Norwich beat, I think it was Norwich beat Tottenham with their, and they went on to win the, the Youth Cup. And they had lot, Tottenham had loads of players playing and they knocked them out. And then Norwich were making a big deal of it. And then, I don't know, fast forward a few years later, that that very team of Tottenham had about six or seven in the UEFA Cup. And then Norwich hardly had any professionals playing for them. So of that winning youth cup team. So it doesn't matter where you are when you're 17, 18. It matters where you are when it's time to be a pro, when it's time to be in the first team. So you don't have to go through the youth system, but it is it is good for you to get to know what they want from you and how to behave. Really well, yeah, it, you um, obviously were touching on your role for um, with QPR in the under 23s. So we'll go yeah. into the into the questions, which are a little bit more pointed towards your your playing career and the different roles that you've you've had uh, during okay. your during your uh, career after playing. Uh, firstly, I think we were all excited to ask you this question, but um, you're part of the the Jamaican side who who travelled to to France in 1998. You faced Japan, Croatia, and an Argentina squad who uh, featured Gabriel Batistuta. Mm. Um, can you shine a light on that? What must have been an incredible experience for you? Well, um, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, my whole international career was was amazing. Um, give you a little story quickly. I was. We were, we always used to travel, you know, to, to these unbelievable places. And our local games were, I don't know, Argentina, Honduras, Mexico, US, whoever, um, El Salvador. And we used to travel to all these countries. And we used to always have to go to Miami, right? So you get to Miami and then, you know, because we've got the most colourful tops <laughs> ever, colourful tracksuits ever. So we're going through and then somebody, Americans have stopped us and gone, um, who are you guys? And we said, oh, we're, we're Jamaicans. And just before I could say we're the football team, the woman stops and says, are you the um, Jamaica bobsled team? <laughs> I'm like, no, we're the football team. And then she starts calling all her family over, thinking that we're the bobsled team. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we traveled around the world thinking, well, a lot of people thinking that we were a bobsled team and not the football team because they didn't think that Jamaicans could play football. But then, you know, we went across the world winning a lot of games and not losing at home. And when you do that, then you qualify for big tournaments. Mm. And um, it was just amazing. It was just such 
you're there playing against the biggest players in the world, the biggest teams in the world. And it just so happened that we was in the group of death for us and the group of life for, for Croatia and Argentina. Yeah. But yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's so, yeah, so cool. Isn't it fun? I mean, it's a great film. <laughs> that, that come on, come on, America. Yeah, yeah. They don't I, really I, I get called Sanker at the football club a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you were talking about um, traveling all over the world, um, visiting some awesome places. Where would you say was the best stadium that you played in? Um, I played in the uh, the LA stadium, which would have had one hundred and ten thousand people in there. Nice. Um, you know, there was just the one in France when we played against Argentina. That was unbelievable because it was mm. just the atmosphere. You know, you're at the World Cup. I've mm. never been to a World Cup as a spectator, yet alone a player. Mm. And you know, you're playing against Batistuta, who hits the ball unbelievably hard, by the way. <laughs> and he scored a hat trick that day, and all you could hear was thud. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're chasing, when you have had a man sent off and you're chasing around in the hot sunshine against Argentina, it's not a pretty sight, you know, but... <laughs> was it a sending off? Was it a, red, was it a red card? Oh, it was, it was a red card a couple of times before. <laughs> 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 and we were telling him, calm down, Daryl, calm down. And he's like, no, I've got to do a man-to-man job on Ortega. And then the referees come to us and said, we're going to send him off in a minute, you know, call him down. And then he just goes, gets him and then 10 men. 10 men after half an hour is, is tough, you know? That is very tough. Did he, did he accept it or did he go off theme and smash it? No, no, him? listen, it was it was a, a tough time because when you, I don't know, when, you, when you're at the tournament of the, your dreams, mm. it's it's very tough for the whole squad because yeah. you now, you, well, you know, at 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, we knew that we were going out of the cup and mm. going home. So you're just playing for pride after that. But, you know, we were all very much together as a team and very much together as people. And um, we've, we've lived, you know, 22, I think it might be 22 years, but we all keep in touch and we all achieve something really special. Yeah. And when we go to Jamaica, they still remember us. And, you know, that place goes nuts. It goes nuts when Amazing. you're doing something good. For your country. I, bet, I bet they know you're not the bobsleigh team now. <laughs> oh, listen, they, they definitely know that. Well, they, they were okay. Well, it was just anybody outside Jamaica, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was a, a really a really good experience because I've got family and the the, the ex Jamaicans here as well, and we were all everybody's second team, mm. so they were willing us to get. And we won a game against Japan, which is what we went there to do. Um, and so yeah, it was it was crazy, crazy, dope. <laughs> how how did you find the transition then from going from player to coach because whenever we've spoken to other ex-players you know they've said it's they found it quite difficult and obviously mm. to you know let go of football in that sense of going out and playing every week mm. how, how did you find that and what advice do you give to those young players you know for their careers looking ahead um i'd say do your badges early that's really important get to understand the game because when you come out of football you realize that you can go and play the game but to go and teach the game to somebody else is a whole different level. Mm. Um, I was lucky because I went and taught in Solid Hall College for two years. And that was key because I then learned how to teach, which helped my coaching. I understood mm -hmm. that there's, you know, about differentiation and how different people learn and how to set, set a, a lesson out or a lesson or a session out. And the transition was quite good for myself, you know, because I was a teacher. Like I said, the first time I went in front of a group of 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 
eight-year-olds to try and get them to, to play football. It was the most daunting aspect of my life. But then I've said I've played in front of crowds of 110, 120,000 people. No problem. But when you're trying to get your ideas out and trying to, it's all in there, but it's about getting it out. And that's where footballers, ex-footballers, find it difficult. So do your badges early and get used to speaking to groups mm. early. When, yeah, when we speak, yeah, but when we speak, I mean, as I've said, like talking to other people on the podcast, like sometimes just coaching was never a route for them. And yeah. it, was, it was, I want to stay in touch with the game, so I'll be a pundit or something. Was, was yeah. coaching something you'd always want, always thought, oh, I'll be a coach when I'm, when I'm done? Well, I'm actually a qualified journalist. Wow, okay. um, don't ask me why, man. I don't yeah. know why, but you know, it's, I suppose it's one arm of, of being able to deal with it. And I wanted to write, I wanted to write articles and things like that. No, the and end. yeah, <laughs> and it was just something where I feel if you've played a career in football, you should do your badges because it's what you know, and you're an expert in that field. So if you don't want to go into it, fine. But I think there's, I mean, I think that Ian Wright, all these guys who have been super pundits have all wanted to scratch that itch of thinking, Am I, would I ever be good enough if I was a coach? Or do I think I could be a manager? Because it's a natural, but there's only a certain amount of jobs that can be done in football. You know, there's, there's 92 jobs that everybody's after. Yeah. So I think you should do your badges because you, you can be then become employable because you just don't know. Yeah. And you can then pick, choose and refuse. But if you haven't done your badges, then you can you know that you're definitely not going to be a coach. Yeah. And then you might see your friends making it, get jealous and then think, oh, it's too late for me now. And then that's mm -hmm. it. So I do believe that everybody should do do your, do your the badges. Mm. Making me want to do the badges. <laughs> no, but you know, my players, well. my oh, under-23s, my under-23s are all qualified to level one and level two. Brilliant. Wow. So amazing. they're two, two levels away from being A-licensed coaches. And that's... They have to do that as part of their scholars, their scholarships. Mm. So when they come in and they're YT, I call it YTS, but um, they come in as a part of their scholars. They have to do two years of um, coaching so that mm. they can, it, it furthers their knowledge. That's great. Is that something that everyone has, or is that something you sort of implemented? I think it's a it's an AFL thing. So the, the, oh, okay. you're a lot of players go come into football at sixteen, and for two years they have to stay in education, so they get a couple of days where they do just work mm. and they can't play football. But at my football club, my players, if they don't do their work, they don't play. And there's books wow. that they have to fill out, even in my team. And if they don't do their work, they can't play because education is key yeah. because most of them probably won't make it. Yeah, yeah. But they think they yeah. will. Mm. So we have to give them an education or give them support or give them something so that if they come out of the game, they've got this fully supported by us. Yeah. And we've given them the best possible chance to be mm -hmm. footballers and educators at the same time. That's a fantastic thought really to have. Really is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a really interesting point. For um, I've always thought, you know, does does lower, you know, younger groups of, of football do they do enough for those players that don't make it? Do, mm. do you feel like obviously that education point is is so important if they can if they know that they have the potential maybe to go into other uh, areas of football. That's 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 really important. Do you feel like there is enough support in place for for young players that don't necessarily, you know, or you know, for the luck of the draw, really, of those players that do make it? Um, is there enough support in place for them? There could be more, but football. Yeah. I think you know when people people say, "Oh, you know, I lost my I, football didn't do anything for me after," and there's no career that really does something for you after. You know, football actually does quite a bit for you. 
because they you know they've given you the education when you're young they've tried to get you to a different club they'll try we i mean when we release people we always try and place them somewhere else we always try to find them a career in a different and it's just it's an individual it's an individual approach but again if our players think that work and and their schoolwork isn't important enough then we say that you're you're never going to make a career with us because you have to complete that before you get onto the football pitch and you have to have manners and you have to show respect and all those things that we want from an ideal professional at our football club they have to achieve and if they don't they don't get onto the green grass mm. need to send uh, greenwood and foden over to you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about young players, you, you mentioned Eze uh, earlier. Um, I think we all, we all want to talk to you about him, but he obviously made his move to Palace, as you said. There was a lot of rumours. I didn't know that Spurs were in for him. That's an interesting mm. insight. Um, and he was very thankful to you and the team um, for aiding his development. So how much of an impact did he have at QPR? And uh, you touched on it already, but how do you think he'll get on at Palace? Uh, he had a total impact. I mean, he mm. was the, in my eyes, he was the best player in the championship mm. by a million miles. And everybody was looking at him. He's got this lazy kind of style where he looks, he looks like he's playing, he's um, relaxed, he's really relaxed. And so, that's some people's cup of tea and it's some, people, some people don't like that. Yeah. But the impact he's had at QPR, I mean, he, first of all, he got the number 10 shirt. Secondly, he got the, the amount of easy shirts that you'll see around the ground is scary and he's just such a nice kid his family go to church they're a church god-fearing family he's got some great agents he's really set up to to really go and explode mm. and he's such a down-to-earth kid so i can't imagine that he would be in the situation of the the two england guys before because he's just so down to earth mm. all he wants to do is play football the impact that he's made at QPR has been, he has satisfied that. QPR have got a, a reputation for producing number 10s. Mm. Yeah. And he fits totally into that Rodney Marsh. And he, and he, you know, he's no, no worse than Rodney Marsh. And he'll go on to show you that he's, you know, he's got the potential to be as good as he wants to be. Mm. Yeah. And do you think... You're looking forward to watching him? Yeah, I, I think I was just thinking about putting him in my FPL team. <laughs> Um, I wonder why then obviously you said that Tottenham were in for him do you think that was he made a decision to go to the Palace or do you think that Tottenham pulled out of it or he just saw an opportunity with Palace to well, get more game time I think there was a lot of clubs that were after him I mean everybody was watching him he, this guy was the biggest thing he was the biggest player outside of the Premier League you know and everybody he was scoring goals I mean if you saw the goal that he scored against West Brom at the end of the season yeah. that was like sublime Mm. You know, sublime, and he, yeah. he just scores sublime goals. His assists are unbelievable, and he's only 20, 21, 22. Mm. Um, I think Tottenham were interested in him. I think it was the previous manager who was really interested in him. Um, mm. And then obviously he went, and but he was a great fan of him. And everybody, there's lots of people who are great fans of him. But you know, when you haven't played in the Premier League and it's just COVID, 20 million is a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. You know, 20 million is a lot of money. But I think it's a snip. Because obviously it's out there because Villa can play 33 million for Ollie Watkins. Yeah. yeah. He's come out of the same league. And, you know, but, but Ibiwe is he's just a, a, such a nice. If you go, if you get the chance, go and look at some of his bits for QPR and you'll see he's just, he was just too good for us at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I, my um, my stepbrother's a QPR fan. He was he was gutted, but he also was like he deserves better. <laughs> yeah, and he and he deserves to be where he, he like I said, he, he needs to go and play with better players now, and he he needs to be stretched because what was mm. happening was he was our best player. Mm. So although he was getting to shine, he now needs to go in where he's not the best player, mm. where he needs to go and show some fight again and, and try and fight his way to the top. Because yeah. he's got, he's around some really, really good players now. So I'm super happy for him, you know, he's, he's, and he's where he deserves to be. And he's been a great servant for, for QPR, as your brother-in-law probably will tell you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we just touched on, on QPR and Elliot's stepbrother, but um, mm-hmm. the hopes for, for next season with, with QPR, um, I think one of his questions was definitely around, you know, the next Eze. Um, and are there any players that, you know, might not be on the radar at the moment that are in your in your um in your side that, you know, might make a big impact for the first team of QPR this season and, and what, what are your hopes personally with, with, with the season? Well, just to keep producing and keep that conveyor belt going. We've we've really been successful and Ibire's been probably the biggest story, but there are also other stories that, that are burning below um the radar, like Joe Lumley, Ryan Manning, you've got um oh Ilias Chair, who's now taking the number 10 shirt from the Berea Easy. And so he's looking to explode onto the scene. And he's a really good player as well. Potentially very, very good. Um, you've got young Faisal Betash. You've got Usman KK. There's so many players that are in there now that are my team. It's actually my team. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I just, uh, I'm there watching the television when they're playing and sometimes giving them a, a, a bit of a telling off, but they can't hear me, but I give them a telling <laughs> off because it's my team. Yeah, yeah. So, so many players. It's, it's just great to see your players go in there and, and, and do really well. Yeah. When the job that I was brought in to do was exactly that. You know, I've, I've, I've hit the remit and, you know, we haven't produced a, a Premier League player since 1996. And now in, the, in the, this, five, this five years, we've done... I don't know, we've done well in excess 23, 24 players into the first team. Yeah. So it's, it's remarkable. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, we would, that kind of goes on to our next point, which was, you know, as a development um, coach, it might, it's not all about winning games. Um, and we just, you know, we're going to ask you what class of success, but obviously, you know, getting, getting players into the first team is, is, is the aim and, you know, learning uh, on the way to that. Hmm. Well, winning, winning is, it depends what you see as a win. Right, and a lot of people say this to me, and a win for me could be um, my goalkeeper in his development plan needs to be able to play out from the back effectively um, throughout the game under constant pressure, or my centre-backs need to just not be 2v1 at the back, they need to be 1v1 at the back, uh, because that makes them, that helps them make a decision. And we use the games as a tool, so when you see my games, you'll probably see our Hawley's team won 6-4 or they lost 6-5 when they were 5 nil up. <laughs> and it's because I use the game as a tool now to, to make sure that people get not the, the chance to go down the pub or the, to go to speak to their mates and say, we won a game against Chelsea. It's to, to use the game as a, as a learning tool and not to, not to just win. My job isn't, isn't to win. I like to win, don't get me wrong. But I have to teach them how to win and how to be successful in games and that the games fast track their learning and so a lot of the time we will go we'll go in the, the lads will be elated 
or they'll be really disappointed. But I'll always focus on the outcomes that they get out of the games. That's the most important thing. What What did you learn? How can we make it better? Or can we keep it? Or you know, so it was. It was these games are not just to win; they're to to, to learn and develop. You um you started talking about kind of what you were brought in to do at QPR. Um, yeah. uh, we had a question about Tony Fernandez um, yeah. and just how oh, he's obviously a chairman that's quite in the public eye. He likes to you know be seen to be involved. Is he is yeah. he involved in the youth development at the club? Is he did he bring you in or or, or was you know? Well, I think um, Chris Ramsey was at Tottenham, wasn't he, with with Les mm. um, and and obviously Tim, and they had quite a successful role and then when they came in Tony Tony obviously said look I want to produce homegrown children homegrown players mm. we want to make sure that they come from you know where we are we don't want to be spending loads of money on on players buying players you know we want to put it into our development system and so he brought Chris Ramsey in. and then obviously when he brought Les in Les brought Chris Ramsey in and then Tony so Tony yeah he's responsible for it to answer your question yeah. but um yeah, we, we do see him from time to time, but I think he's a little bit busy with his airline and his <laughs> other business to, to come in every single day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he lets us get on with it. And I'm, and I'm sure that he's, he's happy with the work that we're doing because we are producing players now and we will find a lot of money for the FFP, financial fair play yeah. rules. And so it was, uh, we had to then, we were put into it. And that's probably been a help for us as well. Definitely. that we've had to provide our own but mm. yeah he's um, he's been a great help probably learned from the Chris Samba um, and all that all those yeah. players that he brought in for way too much yeah. money way yeah. too much money but, and, yeah. and that's the thing you know if you look at Tottenham look at their model it's the same as ours we probably play the same because mm. because of Chris and you've got you know Harry Kane Harry Winks you've got all those players who've come from um, Tom Carroll all those players who've come they came up they've gone through that development program and uh, we've got it at our place now it's, it's reaping rewards mm. you know it's so. very important to keep it and keep developing your your youth and bringing them through um in the first episode of run of play we actually spoke to troy townsend um and we spoke a lot about diversity in coaching and managerial roles in football yeah. what more needs to happen to better reflect the bain community in football i think what they need to do Right, uh, and this is just simple. Just look at my football club. <laughs> just look at my football club and just see what we're doing. If we're not the, if we're not at the top of the league, the Premier League, in this country for football, we are for diversity, yeah. and we are for inclusion. Because if you look, you've got so there's all walks of life. It's like Benetton in my football club, right? <laughs> and it's like you've got all walks of life, just walking around experts doing their job you've got black white asian we've got deaf coach we've got um you know people from all over the, the world being experts putting ideas in together and when you get a diverse workforce and diverse thinkers you're going to get the best and that's why that's behind our success mm. um and I, I really do believe that nobody's good enough to ignore anybody from any corner of the of the world you know it doesn't matter who you are what you're perceived wherever you is you come from what your protected characteristic is it's just you need to have a look at our football club and see uh, is the perfect model our chairman is malaysian we've got 
a white American CEO. We've got a black director for football. We've got a, a, an Asian lead foundation coach girl. We've got a, a coach who's deaf. And, and it's, it's just so good. I mean, no wonder Chris has got his MBE for diversity because you only have to look at it to see that's the example. That's where a lot of people need to have a look at and, and, and maybe take some ideas away from what we do. Mm. It does sound like a really inspirational it does. model. It really does. More clubs should um, take, take, take note, note of that. 100%. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> um, because, because, I'm sorry to cut across you, but the, the, the colour that, that everybody wants is green. And I've, I've never seen anybody, any green people walking around because everybody <laughs> wants to earn money. And yeah. it's a successful model that you've got. You've got to get diverse thinkers. Yeah. So the, 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 the real colour is, is green. And if everybody can get together to earn lots of money because this is a business, then come on, you know, let's just be a little bit more diverse about our thinking about what, who, the, who we can bring in. Sorry to cut across you. No. no, it's okay. Um, I was going to say before we let you go, um, we're going to do our quick fire round. So it's a little game that we play right. um, every week and it's called yeah. Against the Run of Play. Um, yeah. Not guilty. Not guilty. <laughs> it's, it's very quick. You basically just have to say the first thing that comes uh, oh, to your no, mind. Okay. Right, right. Don't worry. They're very, yeah. ni- they're very nice this week. We're going to be very <laughs> nice to you. Um, okay, so Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Why? It's supposed to be quick, but I'm going to ask you why. No, I, like, I, I just like I just I just like him. I like I like the, I, I respect Ronaldo, but I just like Messi's left foot, and he's just on a different planet to it to everybody else. They both are, but my preference is is Messi. Okay, uh, Nike or Adidas? Adidas. Adidas. Then the track suits for the. You liking the you liking the United Adidas, one then? Run DMC, the shoes, <laughs> track suits, everything. My boots were old, uh, Adidas Copa Mundial's slippers. Oh, no. Adidas oh, straight it. up and down like six o'clock. Okay. okay. <laughs> You're the first one to say. Yeah, I think you are yeah. actually. Uh, 40-yard screamer or tiki-taka team goal? Tiki-taka t- team goal. That's me. Tiki-taka. <laughs> tiki-taka. <laughs> <laughs> We've got lots of tiki-taka coming for yeah. tiki Yeah. Uh, if you were a manager, well, you are, but if you were, if you were, uh, suit or track suits for games? Oh, I have this problem, you know, I'd, I'd say suit. Suit? Yeah, nice. I don't know why, because I, I just see it on television. I like to dress like, you know, just that, that, that kind of casual, mm. casual, but, but not track suits, not a track suit. I like a suit manager. Yeah. I think yes, it's a good time. Yes. Uh, World Cup or Champions League? World Cup. And uh, playing career or coaching career? Woo! <laughs> Woo! Um, coaching career because it's unknown. Mm. Yeah. I get to help. Others. I get to. I get to help others. So, coaching mm. career. That's a great answer. Thank you so much, Paul. That's been Tiki brilliant. Taka. Honestly, Tiki <laughs> That's me, you know. Tiki Tiki Taka Paul. <laughs> Listen, one day right, I'm going to get the sack. Right, I'm gonna get the sack playing too much football, but I don't mind that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that day. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll look out for the news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks so much, bro. It's been really, really great speaking to you. Um, we'll let you know, we've kept enough of your time, but yeah, brilliant. And um, good luck for the thanks season. For me. And um, hopefully, speak, speak again soon. Thanks for having yeah, me. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, yeah. Take care. Thank you so much. Bye bye. 
Thanks for listening to episode five of the Run and Play podcast. And thank you to Paul Hall for joining us with some amazing insight into football coaching, his role at QPR and his playing achievements. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Run and Play Pod. We'll be back very soon with another expert guest. See you then.